0: Well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I think when I leave here, I'm going to be talking like some of (laughs) y'all. But that was some good singing and a great video. Um, I do have one order of business. Uh, Pastor, I do have a question for you. This is the order of service. And I just have a little discrepancy. It says special intern quartet. Message, Brother Kwame Selver, security, yawn. Is that what you all are expecting? <laughs> A boring message and you're telling people to intentionally yawn in my message? Was, was that how, anyway, okay. I saw it, I'm like, yawn? Is that supposed to be lawn? You want them to yawn. What? What yawn is it? Oh! <laughs> Let's get into the Word of God. Let's get into the Word of God. Oh wow! Wow! Communication, huh? Communication. Communication. All right. Uh, let us let us say our verse, Psalm one one nine one eight, and uh, really. Take a moment and whether you are married, whether you are single, whether you are a parent, whether you are a child, we're going to look at some stuff for the family tonight. So I really want you to pray and ask God to speak to your heart as I ask him to speak to mine. So we're going to say our verse, then I'm just going to give you a time to pray and talk to God and ask him to really help you tonight. So let's uh, turn to Psalm. If you don't, me- if you haven't memorized it yet, that's fine. Um, Psalm one hundred nineteen, one one nine, one eight. If you have it, say Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Let's say it together. Psalm one one nine one eight. Open. All right. Now we're going to say it one more time prayerfully. And then I want you to just take a moment and pray and ask God to speak to your heart from the Word of God this evening. Let's say it one more time prayerfully. Psalm 119, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Heavenly Father, we are very thankful to you, God, for giving us this opportunity to be in your house, to be around your word, to have the joy that's represented in this, in your house. Thank you for the work that was done these past few weeks and the efforts that's been put in to see fruit for this, for your kingdom. Father, tonight we want to hear from you, God, um, all of us can improve in our families, in our marriages, in our parenting, and um, just being godly children. I pray, Father, that your will would be done. I pray that you'd bring healing to, to homes tonight, and I pray that your spirit would guide my thoughts, my speech, and everything that's said and done would bring you on in glory. We thank you now, and we anticipate what you will do for us to help us. In the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Looked up online and um, found out some, some stats. World War I. So if I get these statistics wrong, don't blame me, blame Google, okay? World War I started June 28, 1914, uh, mainly in Europe. World War II started September 1st, 1939. And primarily that was in Europe, East Asia and the islands of the Pacific Ocean. World War I ended November 11, 1918, and World War II ended September 2nd 1945. The amount of money that it cost to have World War I was well over almost. billion, and that was adjusted for the value of the money. And World War II was about $2 billion as well. Again, adjusted for the the currency. World War I, casualties, over 11 million men and women lost their lives. World War II, almost 60 million men and women lost their lives. It's called World War I. And World War Two. it took place in Europe, Pacific Islands, and different places. It had casualties, and it cost a lot of money. Well, that was World War I and World War II. Sad to say, World War III is in some of our homes. World War III has cost some families their testimonies and their relationships. And so tonight I want you to take your Bibles with me, please, and turn to the book of James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4. I like to call James the Proverbs of the New Testament. James is a very practical book. If you say, I just want to know what to do when I wake up in the morning and when I start my day, you could read a a Proverbs or you could read a chapter of James or several verses of James. Very practical, straight to the point. So in the book of James, here is his main thesis or his main focus. Faith without works is dead. In other words, I can get up here all day and say that I believe God or that I am a believer in Jesus Christ, but if I don't do anything to show forth my belief, then I have a dead faith. But if my faith is alive like my Savior is alive, then you should see some results of this faith that I have in Jesus Christ. So faith without works Is dead. That's his main thesis. So in chapters one to three, he's talking about those things, trying to get you to understand hey, look, here is practical Christianity. And then he comes to chapter four, and notice what he says in verse number one. He says, From whence come wars and fightings? What's the next two words? I didn't say this at the beginning, and I should have, so I apologize, but The book of James is written to Jewish Christians, Jewish believers. So sometimes people get caught up on that phrase, faith without works is dead. So they say, oh, I got it. That means I need to work for my salvation. Well, James was talking to people who were already saved. So he wasn't telling them to work for their salvation. He was telling them, work because of your salvation. And so he says, whence come wars, and fightings among you. So he's talking to these Jewish Christians, he's talking about practical Christianity. If you call yourself a Christian, if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you're a part of the family of God, why are you fighting against each other? But an application we can make from this, as that is the interpretation talking to Jewish Christians, an application that we could take from the same passage, is although they had fightings in the family of God, you have, fam- you have fighting in your own family. So what is the problem? Let's look at the problem. It says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Like I said earlier, the home has become the battleground. If we're really honest... There's sometimes when maybe the husband, because there's so much war and fighting in the home, volunteers for overtime at work just so he doesn't have to go home. And maybe there are children who play sports, not necessarily because they love that particular sport, but that just gives them an excuse to get out of the house. And this is not happening. We understand that this can happen in a house where there is no genuine love of Christ. But, but I believe what James was saying and what caught him off guard is, but this is in your house, Christians. It says, from whence, what is the place or the origin of these wars? That same word war is used when speaking about the battle of Armageddon. Whence come wars and fightings? Fightings means quarrels or disputes. It's mother against daughter, it's father against son, it's brother against sister, it's husband against wife, it's wife against husband. The problem was there was this fighting. So James says he's trying to get to to why this is the case. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Here's, Here's his answer. Here's what he has figured out. He's figured out the origin. He says, come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members. The word "lust" means pleasure and gratification of sinful desires. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. Sometimes we can want something good, but we go about achieving it in a sinful way. For example, a husband or a father and or a father may want respect from his children or his wife. And because he wants this respect, which is a good thing, there's nothing wrong with that, but because he wants this respect and he doesn't feel like he is getting the respect he, he deserves, he lashes out in anger and hostile heat at his children or at his spouse, because he wants to get respect. So although what he may want is something good, the way he is going about it is in a lustful way because he wants it for himself. And maybe there is a child that says, I want my freedom. Well, let me help the young people with this. You can get your freedom when you work on your responsibility. So for example, if you come home, if your parents say you can be out until nine o'clock playing basketball or out at whatever, let me tell you what to do. Let me just, I'm gonna help the teenagers. All the parents, you could close your ears. Teenagers, here's what you do. When they say you could be home, you could be out until nine o'clock, come home at 8.30. When they tell you clean your room, clean your room and clean your brother's room or your sister's room. Clean the kitchen. When they tell you take the trash out, take the trash out from the bathroom, the kitchen, the other room. Show them that you are responsible and the more responsibility you show, the more freedom you will get. But what teenagers decide to do is, well, I will rebel and take my freedom from my parents. You are wanting something good, but you're going about it a sinful way. You're now doing it out of your lust, a sinful desire. So he says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust, which war in your members? He's saying there's a war that goes on in our bodies. The flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary one to the other. It's, 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 it's the Holy Spirit wanting us to do things God's way, and it's our flesh wanting us to do things our way. And there is a battle and there is a war. How, how to respond and how to talk to each other and how to care for each other and how to do things for each other, how to honor your parents, how to love your children. There is a war. Just like World War I and World War II, they are casualties. And if you listen to your flesh, Casualties. So he says, whence come these wars and fightings? Look at the, look at the result of this, of, this, of this war. Verse 2 says, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Now this is serious. It says you lust, you have this sinful desire, and have not. You are demanding something from your parents. You're demanding something from your spouse. You're demanding something from your children. And after all of that demanding and arguing and fussing and fighting and warring, you still don't have any respect. In fact, you now have hatred in your home. You now have bitterness in your home. You now have anger in your home. You're trying to get something in a sinful way and you don't get what you want. And now there's something even worse in your home than at the beginning. It says ye lust and have not. It says ye kill and desire to have. And we recognize that in the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, that the Bible says, Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer. You have young children who hate their parents because their parents didn't give them what they wanted. You lust, you kill, you fight, you war, you argue, you walk around the house on eggshells, and you still don't have what you're fighting for. And here's, here's, here's what James says. Ye have not because ye ask not. I believe he could mean two things from this. Number one, I believe he could mean you haven't gone and asked the person, can, can I earn your respect? Can I earn some freedom and responsibility? I believe that there is an asking from the, from the person, but I also believe there's an asking from God. Similar to the man today, you never spend any time in prayer asking God to help your children to respect you. You're not asking God for your spouse to treat you the way that they want, or that you believe they should treat you. You're not, you're not praying and asking your, for God to help your parents to treat you the way you would like to be treated. Maybe your parent doesn't do the things that you want them to do, then that's for you to pray and ask God. But if you're not asking God, you're trying to come up with it on your own means and you don't have it. But then some of you would raise your hand tonight. You say, preacher, I do pray for it. Well, look what the next verse says. It says, he ask and receive not. Well, hold on, preacher. You just said, well, actually, the word of God said, but the word of God just said that if I, I don't have it because I'm not asking. But I'm praying for it. I'm asking for it. And now it's saying I'm praying and asking and I still don't have it. Well, why not? Well, read the rest of the verse. It says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. The word amiss means you are squandering it. You're wasting it. It's like, it's like giving a five-year-old child a $1,000 and say, now spend this money. What do you think they're going to buy with $1,000? $1,001 worth of candy. You think they're going to invest that? You think they're going to buy books? You think they're going to buy clothes? If you give $1,000 to a child, they're going to spend it on nothing profitable for their teeth. God says, if I give you what you're asking for, you're just going to waste it. You know why? You ask a miss because you want to receive it of your own lust. Here's the point. You don't want respect from your children because you're trying to show them the way that God wants them to treat their parents. You want your children to show you respect because you want respect. It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with your selfish desire that you want to be the man of the house. Well, guess what? You're not the man of the house. And you're crying out for it. You're arguing. You're demanding. You're punishing. You're penalizing. You're not speaking to this one. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. You have not because you ask not. Well, I pray about it. Well, you ask amiss. And not only don't your children respect you, they don't even love you. You're asking for your own selfish reasons. You're not asking for your parents to give you freedom so that you can freely serve the Lord. You want your parents to give you freedom so you can like the boy that you like. You want your parents to give you that freedom so you can go to the party to be with everybody else who's going to the party because you don't want to be the only one who didn't go to the party. It has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with father. Heavenly Father, please allow my parents to give me the freedom so I can go on soul winning. That's not why you want your freedom. You want to consume it of your own lust. Folks, we have a battle of selfishness every single day. So he says, you have not because you ask not. Well, I ask. Well, yeah, you ask, but you don't have because you're asking it of your own lust. Then he says this in verse number four. He says, "Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship, that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God." And I thought this was interesting. I'm like, "How does this fit into this whole, how does this whole topic, right?" And I had, I had, I saw two things. Number one, maybe some of you are trying to use the world's method to attain a spiritual result. Folks, I have, I have news for you. Dr. Phil can't help you in this. Sure. Yeah. Well, I saw online, and I watched Dr. Phil, and I listened to Oprah, and I listened to this one, and I listen to that one, and they say, if you do this, you will get this result. They are giving you pragmatic Results, not spiritual results. You cannot achieve a spiritual goal using the world's method. And so maybe what's happening is you're trying to use the world's method and the Bible says you're an adulterer. That's one thought. Here's the second thought. Adultery, when it comes to God, when it says we we have adultery with God, that's talking about adultery is from idolatry, okay? Adultery comes from idolatry. So when you worship something, if I were to worship this, this, uh, this bottle and I say, I bow to this bottle and I, I want to worship this bottle and I offer sacrifices to this bottle, here is, here is the other thought. You have made your desire an idol, And the Bible says that's adultery. So, how do I know if it's an idol? You sin to get it, or you sin because you didn't get it? You've just made that thing an idol. And your focus is not on how you can please God. Your focus is not on how I can serve God. Your focus is not on how I can serve my family. Your focus is not on how I can serve my spouse. Your, your, your focus is not on how I can serve my parents. You want your freedom. You want your respect. You want this thing. And that has become an idol. Amen. Friendship with the world. Enmity with God. Then it goes on and it says this. Do you think, verse 5, Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Again, it goes back and it reiterates, or it says again, It says, don't you remember and don't you realize that there is a spirit within us that wants what what I want. I want what I want. But I can't give in to the flesh. I got to yield to the spirit. So what is God's solution? Here's the problem. There's fighting and wars inside Christian homes. The result is emptiness. You want it, you you, you idolize it, if that's a word, I don't know. And then you still don't have it. So the question is this. Dear father, how do you get your child to respect you? Their spouse, how do you get your other spouse to treat you the way you would like to be treated? Children, how do you get your parents to trust you? James gives the answer right here. Here we go. Verse 6. But he giveth more grace. What you need, you should be asking for from God above saying, God, I'm not going to run to my parent. I'm not going to run to my spouse and demand that they give me what I want. Father, I'm going to bow and ask you to help my dad to trust me, to help my dad to love me, to help my spouse to treat me the right way. I'm not going to demand it. I'm going to ask for your grace to help me to get it, Father. Father. Next, he lists a bunch of things here. Here's what he says next. Verse 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore, say, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourself. Amen. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm the man of the house. What, why don't you focus on being the godly man of the house? Amen. Because you know, what, you know what God does with proud people? God resisted the proud. God gives the proud a stiff arm. God resisted the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. You know what this would mean? There might be some apologies needed. Honey, I haven't been doing what I should be doing, and I want to apologize to you that I haven't been treating you the way that, I wanted, that God wants me to treat you, and I'm sorry. Kids, we're going to have a family meeting. Dad hasn't been doing things the way God wanted me to do it, and I want to say that I'm sorry, and I apologize. I remember one time, I, I had gotten in the flesh. We had taken some students to a competition in the, in the state, so we left Nassau went to Florida, and we had this competition, one of the students got me upset. I mean, I lost my temper. I, I don't usually lose my temper, but I lost my temper that day. And I berated him, and I talked bad to him, and I, I didn't just break his will, I broke his spirit. A few years went by, and any time a message speaking about anger came up, I got convicted. You know how that is? I got convicted. And I said, okay, God. I didn't know where he lived. I said, God... If you help me to see him, I will apologize to him. One day I'm driving in the morning, and I see him. He's going into a food place to get some food. And in my spiritual, spiritual side, I said, Father, thank you for letting me see him, but maybe next time I'll say uh, sorry to him. <laughs> I literally drove past, and the Holy Spirit said, seriously, Kwame? And I turned around. Now, I was the vice principal of the Christian school. And I said to myself, I'm going to apologize to a kid. But to get this off my chest and off my back, I said, I got to do it. I said, I know he's going to probably curse me out, call me every name in the book, tell me how wicked I was. So I go, and as he's coming out, I put up my hand. I say, hey, listen. Call his name. I said, you remember what happened a couple of years ago? He said, yeah. I said, I was wrong. I said, now what you did was wrong, but I was 100% wrong for the way I handled it. I shouted, I yelled. That was not Christian-like. <laughs> Listen, I just want to say that I'm sorry. Then I took a step back and was ready for it. And he said no, I'm sorry for the way I was acting to cause you to act that way. And you know what I experienced that day? I experienced God's grace came when I humbled myself. Amen. And to, that day, to this day, if I see him, I could give him, you know, a handshake or what have you, and everything is clear but I had to humble myself. When you humble yourself, you'll ima- you could imagine imagine what's going to happen when that person you humble yourself to humbles themselves. So there has to be, we're asking God for his grace. We're humbling ourselves. Then it says in verse 7, submit yourself therefore to God. Put yourself under. See, submission has become a bad word in society. Everybody wants to be equal on the equal plane. Submission has nothing to do with equality. Submission has to do with rank and responsibility. The assistant pastor could be smarter than the senior pastor, but that doesn't make the difference. The the, 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 the the problem is his rank, his responsibility, his God-given responsibility. So submission is, I am willfully placing myself under this person's authority. You might be smarter than your parents. You might be smarter than your husband. Most of the time, that happens. But the order that God has it, that's the order that he wants it. It's not that I'm better than my wife or you're better than your parents or you're better than... No, no. It's, that's the order that it's in. So, so here's the problem. When we're not in order with how God wants his order, then we want to get upset that people below us aren't under order. Well, my children aren't respecting me. Well, are you respecting God? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Put yourself under the position where God wants you spiritually in this order. God, Jesus, husband, wife, children. So stop looking down and start reflecting on yourself. Am I submitted to God? Because maybe I'm the problem why there's the war. He says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I love this one. Folks, you're not talking to your sister, your brother, your husband, your wife, your children, your parents. Do you realize we wrestle not against flesh and blood? And Satan has us confused. James, James was saying, he wasn't telling them how to fight and how to stop fighting against the devil. You don't stop fighting against the devil. He wasn't telling them not to fight against the world or the flesh. He was saying, y'all need to stop fighting one against another. Resist the devil. It's the devil that's getting inside the home. Somehow there's a loophole and you need to close that loophole because he's getting into the home and he is causing problems and he's causing distractions and he's causing wars and fightings among Christians. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you your intimacy and your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, your prayer time, your Bible study, your church attendance, your serving, your discipling, your witnessing, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. When you get that relationship right, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. You're drawing nigh to him. Then it says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Is there some sin in your life that God is exposing through your own children? Years ago, there was this ad that came on, and it was during the height of the cocaine and uh, pandemic and all of that stuff. A lot of cocaine was coming in and all this stuff. And I'll never forget this commercial. There's a commercial where there's a son, and he had on, the, you remember the head, the old headphones with the little spongy thing? He had on the headphones, and he had a Walkman. Some of these young people are like, a Walkman, what is that, something to help you walk? had this Walkman and he's sitting on his bed and he's kind of just, you know, doing his head thing like that. And then the father comes in really angry and really upset and he says, where did you get this from? He had one of those old cigar boxes and in the cigar box he opened it up and there was all this drug paraphernalia. And the father walks in and he said, where did you learn how to do this? Where did you learn how to do this? And the young boy took the headphones off his ears and he said, from you, dad, I learned it from watching you. And the next caption that came on the screen was, parents who do drugs have children that does drugs. Maybe the sin that's being exposed in your children is God trying to get your attention of a sin that's in your life. Cleanse your hands, purify yourself it continues on, just some practical, uh, practical ways. It says, be afflicted, verse 9, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. When was the last time we cried over sin? We cried over broken relationships, and I know I need to do more of it. Fasting and praying and saying, God, would you help heal my family? Would you heal my relationship with this one? Would you heal my relationship with that one? Being afflicted and mourned. And then it says in verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. We already spoke about humbling and God lifts you up. And I just want to read the first portion of verse 11. Speak not evil one of another. You know one of the best ways you can rebuild and reconnect your relationships? is how you speak to that person. The way that you use your tongue in the relationship, how you speak to your children, your spouse, your parents, your siblings, how you speak to them can determine so much. And for some of us, people are are trying to go at war with one another and all it needs is for someone to say, hey, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And by the way, I, I think this is true. No one expects perfection from you parents. Your kids don't expect you to be perfect. Your spouse doesn't expect you to be perfect. What they're hoping for is that when you do mess up, you show them how to get it right and how to make it right and keep it right. So question, as we leave tonight and you go home, will it continue to be a war zone? Or will it be a place of peace? And love. Let's pray. Father,